0: Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Billado. And you're listening to Archivos Insights.
1: Oh, that sounds good. (laughs) Archivos Insights is a podcast featuring conversations with the stellar luminaries of the storytelling firmament riddled with power-armored marines and dragons. (laughs) We're all striving to refine and improve our storytelling mojo, and what better way to do it than to ask veteran storytellers about their processes?
0: Absolutely. And this, like all the episodes of the Archivos Podcast Network, is brought to you by... Archivos. What a shock, right? <laughs> the story mapping and development software application coming out in September 2017. Yay! Yay! And wow, that went really well. <laughs> Congratulations, Marie. I, I didn't expect that to go as smoothly as it did.
1: We nailed it. Now we can screw the rest of it up. It's all good. The
0: rest (laughs) is all downhill. (laughs) Friends, if if you're wondering why Marie and I are clapping ourselves on the back, uh, uh, if if, if you're new to the Archivos podcast network, this used to be the Roundtable podcast. And that was our first (laughs) attempt at introducing the podcast with something other than the Roundtable vibe. And by God, Marie, I think we did pretty darn good.
1: I think we did. Let's just Pat ourselves on the back a little bit more here, my friend. You did great. <laughs> well, thank
0: you, and so did you. Outstanding, Wonderful. excellent riffing, excellent riffing. Uh, okay, uh, enough bat clapping. Uh, let's 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 move into the meat and potatoes of this particular Archivos Insights episode, dear friends. Uh, uh, as is our custom here, we always bring on a guest host to explore their craft, and our guest host for this episode of Archivos Insights is no stranger to these virtual studios. Back when we were the Roundtable podcast, he appeared on Workshop episode 69 back in December of 2014. Holy crap, a two and a half years ago. That's blowing my mind. Uh, <laughs> now, you can catch his stalkerish intro back on that episode. But to recap, he joined Paizo Publishing as an assistant editor on Dungeon Magazine before working as both a developer and editor in the creation of the Pathfinder role-playing game. He currently serves as Paizo's executive editor and commissions all the Pathfinder Tales novels. Now, last year, he was announced as the creative director in charge of the new Starfinder role-playing game for Paizo, releasing at this year's 50th anniversary Gen Con extravaganza. Cue applause, release the doves. That's just frickin' awesome. (laughs) Uh, Now, not only has he written novels, games, books, and short stories for such publications as Machine of Death, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Escape Pod, and Podcastle, he also has been writing the graphic novel series Pathfinder Rune Scars with Wes Schneider with art by Ediano Silva. Now, to give you a taste of the transmedia awesomeness involved, (laughs) Issue 5 of the comic series comes out with a poster map that's got an encounter area on one side and fabulous Pathfinder art on the other. It sounds brilliant. Friends, his work has been cited in a master's thesis. What an exhausted daze. He proposed naming a subspecies of the cockatrice a death cock. Whoa, hey, I thought you were trying
2: to keep your... uh... That you're trying to keep your all ages rating. You're blowing it, Dave. You're, you're already blowing it.
0: Great. Back to explicit. I'm going I'm to ease into it, James. I'm going to ease into it. And something that I left out of his stalkerish intro his fifth grade teacher taught him d during lunchtime at school. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the Archivos Podcast Virtual Studios, James Sutter. James, <gasps> great googly moogly. You have uh, a science fiction role-playing game coming out in less than a month. I, I am stunned and astonished that you were able to carve out uh, some time to talk to us and deeply grateful, man. Welcome back.
2: Hey, good to be good to be back, and it's always it's always a fascinating game of roulette seeing which facts about me will end up in a Dave introduction. I
0: know, right? Well, honestly, dude, you know, s- scrolling through your Twitter feed is just an adventure, uh, and honestly, I had to pick and choose. There was a lot of material to pull from
2: <laughs> that just happened it's to true. pop out. I do. I do enjoy me some, uh, some Twitter, uh, you know, Twitter, (laughs) Twitter is the best of the internet and the worst of the internet all rolled up (laughs) together. And you
0: do it well, you do it very well. (laughs) Let's dive into this. Um, During the roundtable days, we we put up the conceit of the 20-minute conversation, and I'd like to hold ourselves to that. Even during the roundtable days, we ignored it, but at least it gives us something to shoot for. So so (laughs) (laughs) allow me to set the clock, uh, and we'll begin our conversation with James Sutter. And James, (laughs) the the, the mind-boggling awesomeness of creating a new role-playing game, never mind a science fiction role-playing game, which is rare enough. But a complete whole system on top of that is is a a mind-boggling task. I honestly cannot fathom what your last year and a half or so has been like in your world. But I want to explore a little bit of how you build something like that, a world that is designed for story. Because that's one of the unique things about these role-playing game worlds is that there must be a, a compelling hook around every corner for some sort of adventure or story exploration or whatever.
2: Yeah. So I I should emphasize that, uh, you know, the Starfinder role-playing game, while it is a standalone game, uh, both the setting and the rules are based very heavily on Pathfinder. You know, the idea is that it's Pathfinder thousands of years in the future and now you're Elves and dwarves have space spaceships and laser guns, um, but uh, but you know we did take a bunch of the rules and change them and tweak them to better fit a science fantasy ethos rather than a uh, a traditional fantasy one like Pathfinder, and we did change the setting a bunch too, which involved creating a whole bunch of new stuff and also carrying forward some stuff, changing it, tweaking it, uh, seeing how it might be different in this possible future. But, you know, to me, I think that role-playing, like you say, it really is all about the story. So while I have, you know, amazing people like, you know, some of my lead devs are folks like, you know, Owen Casey-Stevens, Rob McCreary, Amanda hammond Coons, Jason Keeley. Like, there's a bunch of really great people working on the game. But I fully recognize that the rules have never been the thing that I care the most about. So for me, it's about... The setting, the world, the adventure hooks like you talk about. And so actually, uh, my best piece of advice, you know, it doesn't go for rules, but if you're creating a setting or something, I always try to, when writing a setting book or a gazetteer, set myself the rule of basically every paragraph or at least every hundred words, you need a new fun idea that can capture the imagination and send the GM off on an adventure. You know, somebody should be able to open your book and wherever they put their finger down, there should be something there that's interesting, whether it's a a lost city or a rumor of murders in the city or an asteroid headed for Earth or even just a weird little cultural detail, you know? uh, And you don't even always have to explain them. I'm a huge fan of the unexplained illusion uh, (laughs) where you're just, you don't know what to write and you just say, well, um, you know, this is a mine. Okay, you know that you need a mine here or whatever. And you say, "Uh, also down in the mines, they had, uh, constant problem are the Gabori snake birds who burrow into there and steal the gems uh, and lay their eggs inside the gems and so they ruin the gems when they hatch um, and so it creates this whole conflict between the them and the miners or you know just something like that where you just throw it out and sometimes it's even less than that sometimes you just say like these are the whatever mountains and uh, they're full of flying fang-toothed Gabori <laughs> And then that, and then you move right along. And people go, "Well, wait, what? What is that? What does that even mean?" But the truth is that you know a lot of the people playing games, especially game masters, they're in it for the creativity, at a, in a sense. So if you give somebody just a little bit to hook onto, then they can take that and run with it, and their imagination will fill in details that you never could have dreamed of. Oh, god. So, yes. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And there's nothing I like more than going to a convention and having somebody come up to me and go, Oh, you remember, uh, you know, that thing you mentioned, you know, you only talked about it once on page 25 of that book you wrote three years ago. Um, and there's only two sentences about that lost city, but we've been playing there for a year, you know, every week. Um, and that's really gratifying, right? That's what this hobby's all about. Sure,
0: absolutely. And and may I commend you uh, uh, on your on your off the top of your hat story hooks because I'm sorry the the Gabari mine snake birds are, are <laughs> now there's a whole ecosystem going on and clearly there's a merchant coastal designed exclusively for the extermination of these birds. However, they are vital to the ecosystem. Oh my god, this is uh, this is awesome.
2: You know, honestly, <laughs> I feel like my greatest job skill that I've gotten from working at Paizo has been the ability to be creative on command and to just take stream of consciousness ideas and just roll with it you know (laughs) it's it's the same as improv it's the same as rapping if you're trying to if you're trying to flow you have to just be willing to not self-censor you just have to grab the first thing you can find and just frantically throw stuff at it until it becomes interesting (laughs) it stands on its own well that's probably your journalism
0: background that's that's coming into play there right
2: Well, yeah. And I mean, in some ways, I never really left it because, you know, I started out working on newspapers and magazines where you had really tight deadlines all the time. And then when we went from doing Dungeon and Dragon magazines, which were monthly, to doing Pathfinder Adventure Path, which was monthly, nothing really changed (laughs) even though we were going from magazines to books. And so we've always remained really deadline-driven. And so a lot of my best work has come out of you know, somebody says, hey, this book needs to be copy fit and done in an hour. You've got two pages to fill. Go. <laughs> um, and there's stuff you know, it's it's often the stuff where you don't even remember writing it. Sure. You know, people often ask questions uh, and I'll say, you know, <laughs> whatever, I? whatever I wrote in the book is exactly what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but, it, but it's great because oftentimes when you're in just that stream of consciousness mode, you know, I'll write stuff that, I then get to go back and be excited about those illusions where, you know, I'd name drop a monster. Well, I have no idea what they are, but now I'm thinking about it, you know? And so sometimes, like, uh, Karamaga is a city that I made for Pathfinder that's one of my kind of best-known cities. And that started out as just, you know, I had a column to fill in the back of an adventure, so I made up a new city so that it would have a... A location, And then people liked that. And that turned into an article, which then turned into a whole book. And now I've written novels set there. You know, I like that sort of snowball effect when I'm creating stuff. Cause if Absolutely. nothing else, it gives you job security.
0: <laughs> well, and I think you're, you know, you're talking about the game world. There's, there's certainly that, that impetus to provide the hooks and the points of interest and curiosity. But I think that speaks to the larger storyteller experience as well. If I'm reading a book, and, you know, maybe not every paragraph or 100 words, but if I don't find three or four points of curiosity that
2: I want to know more about, I'm I'm not going to keep reading. Exactly. Exactly. You need to have the things that grab somebody. And some authors can do it without world building at all. Right. There's plenty of authors where it's just either the characters or even sometimes just the prose that will drag you through. I don't claim to be able to be one of those authors, right like <laughs> i I aspire to that, but in the meantime, I'm gonna give you weird monsters and flying cities and stuff like that uh, to make sure that you're you never get the chance to get bored.
0: There you go well, Marie, do you in your experience as a writer, do you find yourself seeding your stories with these these points of curiosity that maybe you don't even know what they are? <laughs>
1: A lot, actually. I think that's one of the things that I find most appealing about writing in uh, speculative fiction. It's that ability to just, you don't need to fact check. You just throw it in there. It's your world. Now it's canon. Yeah.
0: The Gabari mind birds, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And what I find amazing, too, is that the way that the subconscious kind of works, because sometimes I'll seed something at the beginning of book one of a trilogy, and I haven't mapped out the whole thing because I'm not that organized, and then I get to the end of book three, and what I seeded in book one suddenly matches perfectly. What I need at the end of book three, and it kind of all ties itself up together, which your is absolutely unconscious amazing. Is your friend. <laughs> yes, thankfully. <laughs> James, I heard now just from through the grapevine, uh, I heard that you were absolutely amazing at keeping track of details of multiple worlds and, and and works and not just, you know, it's not just you writing in the world too, is you're keeping track of like entire lines and other people's works and the details and what was said in one book and how it affects another book and how do you even keep track of all of that? Is it all memory work or do you somehow... Write it down somewhere. (laughs) No, I mean,
2: (laughs) that would be a disaster. Um, No, uh, so, I mean... To be clear, uh, I'm very lucky in that working on Pathfinder and Starfinder, there's an entire team, right? So I don't have to know everything. (laughs) I can just walk out into the development pit or the editor pit and go, did anybody remember where we said this thing? Like, I have a vague half memory that we answered this somewhere, you know, and then hopefully somebody will do it. But um, (laughs) there's so much material, even for like a relatively new game like, Pathfinder, or certainly Starfinder. You know we've got twenty fewer years than uh, something like you know the Forgotten Realms or whatnot. But there's still so much material that I don't think any one person can keep it all in their head. So one of the tools that we love is there's a fan run wiki that's the Pathfinder wiki. and our fans do it for us. It's crowdsourced, you know we go we use that all the time where I go, God, what are all the different? What are all the different orders of Hell Knights? Where where are their citadels? You know, uh, and I just uh, go on Pathfinder Wiki, and the fans have already taken the articles we wrote and synthesized it into a nice Wikipedia style format. That's to use that to that and PDF searches, you know, save our lives constantly. But <laughs> but it is you know, it's also just a matter of trying to steep yourself in it. Um, when I'm working in, you know, somebody else's world. Um, When I'm working in my own world, you know, I'll keep notes and stuff, but I also, I tend to not do a ton of world building ahead of time. You know, I'll be doing it in my head, but I tend to not, you know, some authors will have a giant 300 page, you know, source book essentially before they start writing their novel. I'm too mercenary for that. You know, I feel like if I'm going to, if I'm going to world build, I want to get paid for every word. Uh, and so, you know, when I'm writing the novel, I try as much as I can to, make enough notes for myself that I'll be consistent and then just write, you know, write the book.
0: Do you, do you um, go back and document then, or do, do you let the, the wiki, the wiki herders do it?
2: Well, I mean, actually for my two Pathfinder novels, I can let the wiki herders do it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. When I'm doing a <laughs> stuff, you know, I'll try to make notes, but to be perfectly honest, uh, I tend to fly a little more by the seat of my pants, which I'm sure will bite me in the long run. If I ever have a long running <laughs> series, um, <laughs> But yeah, and then you know when I'm working in somebody else's world, that's one of the hardest things about uh, shared world stuff is that you know you can't just trust that you know it all. Um, And so I'll often try to either focus on a very particular part of somebody's setting and say, okay, well I want to just just learn about this little corner of it so I can keep all of that in my brain (laughs) uh, without having to have the whole you know write something something that touches every corner of some uh, game's universe. Right. Do
0: you you curate <laughs> that wiki, James? Do you have staff that go through and look I, um, for canon?
2: Not, not officially, although I guess actually we, we do a little bit. So Mark Morland is one of Paizo's developers, and he does a lot of the Pathfinder wiki. We actually hired him because he was one of the people working on the wiki as a fan, and we went, this guy really knows his stuff. He knows canon. So we hired him, and that was probably five, six years ago at this point, uh, if not more. And so he definitely does, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, but for the most part, the fans do a really good job of kind of placing <laughs> each other's accuracy on well, there. that's
0: a measure of their love and, and dedication to the setting, I think.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, and we couldn't do it. Really, we would be so much worse without their effort.
0: <laughs> Indeed. We'll be back with more of our conversation with James Sutter after this brief promotional break. Let me talk to the storytellers for a second you know who you are crafting a story that captures the imaginations and the hearts of your audience is no small task stacks of notes timelines maps character profiles the architecture of storytelling can be a daunting prospect introducing archivos the story development tool for today's storytellers with archivos Storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Now, let's get back to the conversation with James Sutter. Well, James, let me ask you uh, a a little squishier question here. Yeah. because writers, as any writer knows, that, you know, yeah, you have your your dark days and the the blank page stares at you. But usually, the situation is that your brain is your enemy because it's always coming up with new ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. And it sounds like in your case, you know, with with just your your off the top things, you are constantly coming up with hooks and inspirations and things that could actually serve conceivably as the foundation for, as you found out, a series of novels, for example. How do you decide which spark to pursue and, and invest your time and creative energy into?
2: Oh, geez. Um, let's see. Well, first off, I'm a big fan of finishing the thing you're working on now. Um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. every once in a while, something will come along so pervert and fully formed that I go, God, I need to jump off what I'm doing and write that instead. But I think that it's very easy to, if you're not careful, find yourself with a hundred first chapters of a hundred different novels um and that
0: is no that, idea what you're talking about james none whatsoever.
2: yeah it, it does you know good right like because it doesn't matter if a book is bad or good until it's first done right you know and so you know neil gaiman's often quoted with his finished things um and i think that's really true uh especially if you want to get paid for those things um <laughs> So I tend to be pretty good about lining up work and saying, oh, that's a great idea. I'll make some notes. And when I finish this current thing, I'll go do that. But, you know, I think for me, a lot of times, whether or not I pursue an idea is both about how excited I am about it and also how fully formed it is. Sometimes things need to cook a little bit longer, right? You know, because sometimes I'll say, Oh, God, you know, I would love to write a big, you know, political Game of Thrones style novel, you know, but I don't really know what it would be, you know, where I have one idea. Um, I recently, for instance, stopped working on a novel that I still think has a lot of uh, merit, but I just realized I didn't quite have the right stakes for the characters, and I haven't quite decided... You know, what they need to really make it compelling. And then I had this other idea where I saw the plot, and plot is always the hardest part for me, but I saw it sort of laid out in my mind all the way start to finish. And that was one where it's like, okay, if I've got the characters and the world and the plot kind of all within a day, then geez, like that's (laughs) that's really working. I need to roll with that, you know? Um and so I I believe in following momentum but momentum never lasts for the entire project so it's all about how far in did you get before it started becoming a slog and you know if you made it to the middle great slog on through (laughs) and it'll get better again at the end i promise right going through hell
0: keep going
2: yeah exactly no it's really true um uh Nicola Griffith once uh, said something to me that I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but she basically said, like, in every novel, you reach a point where you look ahead of you and all you see is dust and you look behind you and all you see is dust. <laughs> and you have to just trust that eventually the story will be there if you just keep going
0: absolutely and, and and you know there are so many shades and nuances to that creative experience and, and and such a long experience it is i actually i think james that's a very responsible perspective to, if 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 the idea has come to you with all of the set pieces and the flow in place that certainly is probably a better investment as you say you're a mercenary and and i think a lot of writers uh, need to be in terms of their what they're going to invest their creativity in, uh, not not to let that be a, a deterrent, uh, but to to have that discernment of what is a fully fleshed idea and and what is something that I'd love to do something like this, but I have no idea what. Those are two very different ideas.
2: Yeah, and also just do you have elements of it that you're really excited to write, right? You know, like and not just the ones at the start, but you know, if I've got a book where. I'm excited about the beginning and I'm excited about the ending and I don't really know the middle. Well, I can figure out the middle, right? Um, because I can, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, early on I would write just the scenes I was excited to write. Um, and that was actually a big problem because if I skipped around like that, uh, you know, I really would only end up writing those scenes that I was really thrilled about. And so the book (laughs) would always read like a montage. Um, and so (laughs) no connective tissue at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so now I really make myself, you know, I can outline whatever I want and write myself notes, but I write, I start at page one and I write the book all the way through because that way, that big ending climax that I'm excited to write is sort of the dessert that pulls me through. Um, and it also taught me a lot more about pacing and about the connective tissue and realizing that you need to find something in every scene to be excited about. Because if you're bored, the reader's bored also. (laughs) And so, and maybe that thing, it could be anything. It could be, you know, some authors really get into, you know, describing the food or you could do something with the setting or you could, you know, introduce a little side character that's fun. You know, do whatever you have to do to make every scene have something that you're excited about.
0: Sure. Absolutely. We, we the, the clock is shaking its fist at me. We've got time for one <laughs> oh, more yeah, question. Yeah.
1: I'm going to make it a softball one just because the clock is getting <laughs> rather angry. And so you already touched on this a little bit, James, but I'm fascinating with the growth of it because you, you have such a good career already built and you're continuing to build it too, which is really exciting to see. Um, but. What are some of the things that you did at the beginning of your career that now you look back and you think, wow, if only I could warn little James not to make that mistake. Oh. Talk to little, little James. Jeez.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Talking to little James, this is, is going to lose the, uh, the PG rating again.
1: <laughs> um, no. Uh,
2: so a couple of things. Actually um, – I'm going to say uh, one that doesn't even have to do really with the process of writing, but it has to do with just life as a writer. For a long time, I felt really guilty whenever I wasn't writing. You know, I've got a very strong, my wife would say way too strong, sort of work ethic where I always feel the need to be productive to the point where I'll even write, like, hang out with friends on my to-do list so that I can check it <laughs> off. Right? Um, but, uh, but I had a realization when I was... Finishing up my second novel, Redemption Engine, and I realized that whether I had written two novels or 200 novels, I was still gonna die. Like, eventually, I will die, and when I do, it won't matter how many novels I've written because the only reason I'm doing this, to be honest, like some authors care about their legacy, I'm doing it because I think it's really fun. I like <laughs> I like writing. I like people reading my stuff. I like. You know, interacting with other creators. So, really, it was one of these things where I realized writing has a lot of value, but other things in your life have value too. And when I could let go of this need to constantly feel guilty for not writing, I found that I still got 95% as much done as I did before, but I lo- enjoyed my life way more. <laughs> you were a lot happier. So many, <laughs> yeah, so many people tell you will tell you you need to sacrifice for your art, and I think that that's true to some extent and that you have to put in a lot of hours, but I think it's really important to actually ask what are you sacrificing and is it worth it? You know, the people who uh, say, oh, you have to lock yourself in your writer's garret and have nothing to console you but whiskey and like, you know, shut out all your, everybody else in your life and just work. Well, they, that sounds miserable, right? Like, you know, those those people may write, you know, an extra book a year, but that's not the life I want to live, you know? And so sort of making peace with that was really important to me. And then interesting
0: because, yeah. honestly, I, I've seen that sentiment being invoked a lot across certainly the, the genre literary spectrum, which is where, you know, I'm I'm spending my Twitter time. Uh, but Mike <laughs> Cole uh, essentially came out and said the same thing, that you you have to make time for the life that is going to inform the stories that you tell.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, you really need to uh, decide what's important to you. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing with art. You know, you can can write a book every five years. You can write a book every 50 years. Or you can be somebody who's pulling a Chuck Wendig or a Brandon Sanderson and writing, you know, (laughs) millions of words a year. Like, that's all those are all valid approaches. And for me, I find that I really like having a bunch of different types of things, even though I would, to be perfectly honest, I would be a lot farther in my novel career. If I didn't work on gaming, I'd be a lot farther in my comic career. If I didn't work on novels, you know, like I've got, (laughs) I'd be a lot farther on all of my career. If I didn't spend so much time playing music or, you know, going and having adventures, right. The burdens Uh, of
0: the Renaissance man.
2: Yeah, I mean it is, but like I, ever since I was a kid, I always felt bad about that because I do love doing a lot of different stuff, and it means that I, it's hard for me to be the best in in any of them because there's somebody out there who trains constantly and focuses on that one thing, and really, like I guess, a thing that young me uh, took longer to learn than he had to necessarily is, you will never be the best. You don't need to be the best. Just try and be kind of good. You know, like all I, all I want to be is good enough that people are entertained. And if I, if I write something that turns out to be great, then that's delightful. But if you strive for greatness constantly, you're going to freak yourself out. It's much better to just do a bunch of stuff and see what sticks. Like Ray Bradbury said, quantity begets quality. Yeah. And I really believe that. Well,
0: and greatness, greatness, isn't a goal. Greatness is a side effect. Of of pursuing something you love, in my humble estimation. Uh, so,
2: there. I thought of one thing I should tell young me. Yes. Um, for, uh, <laughs> this one has to do with authors and conventions and things. Writers, they may be your heroes, but they are also just people, and the more you can take them off the pedestal and just act around them like a normal person, the cooler they'll think you are. Honestly, like the authors that want to be worshipped 24-7 are not authors you want to get to know anyway. (laughs) Uh, And so, uh, yeah, especially if you're a young writer going to a writer convention for the first time and you're hanging out with folks that are big names and you're kind of wowed, just act like you're hanging out at any old party and also try not to talk about writing. Because everybody there, (laughs) like if you define yourself as a writer, everybody else in that building is also a writer, which means being a writer is not going to make you interesting to people who are around writers 24-7. So find literally anything else you do. The number of times that I've been around people who are way better writers than me and had them be really interested because I was talking about, oh, you play in a heavy metal band? That's interesting. Like, oh, like I had a long conversation with ted chang one time about dumpster diving uh because he <laughs> he couldn't see why anybody would do that thing and i was like well you know i i spent a few years you know eating out of dumpsters let me tell you some tips and tricks so and, uh, you know, ted chang is a magical unicorn in terms of every story he produces is gold like you you'll kill yourself if you try to be ted chang but I didn't. But right, it didn't matter because I had something else totally unrelated that was interesting to offer to that conversation. So Absolutely.
0: Yeah. the, the con experience uh, uh, is both mystical and horrifying, uh, <laughs> and and I think that I think you're right, and that's certainly something that it, it took me a long time to learn here in the roundtable. My fanboy squee moments were many early on, and then people like you and, and others, you others, know, Mer Lafferty and 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 Cat Rambo came on, who were oh my god and they're wonderful, marvelous, thoughtful, creative people who are great to talk to. and and that's that's the person that you want to connect with. Not not James Sutter, the creative director of Starfinder, but James Sutter, the the dude who who does play in, in a heavy metal rock band and knows a so few tips about dumpster diving and can eat more blueberries than you.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like making friends is way more useful. Than making connections, yes. Um, because those people that are your friends, you know, even if they're low on the totem pole now, uh, ten years from now, they might very well be somebody very important, right? You never know who's going to succeed. Um, but more importantly, having friends is fun. Just, just make <laughs> friends. If you're, if you're a good, nice person who does stuff for other people and who is you know, there for people, then they're gonna be there for you too, right? Um, and it may not ever come in handy, but sometimes it will, and you'll never be able to predict how and when a given uh, connection will be made. Absolutely. I and, love and, that.
0: The gold is just dropping, you know, I can hear the notes scribbling and scribbling, but guys, really, the clock has donned powered armor and is leaping (laughs) into a fighter craft armed with, you know, death torpedoes, something. I don't know what it is, uh, and I don't want to find out. I I must sadly uh, (laughs) put the reins on this fabulosity and, and bring it to a close. James. Wow. Uh, Always a delight to have you on. And and let us please not let it be another two and a half years before we do it again. Okay?
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Uh, Marie, I don't know. know I'm going to ask you the question I always ask you. What did you get out of that last? Let's call it like it is 35 or 40 minutes of of awesomeness. Uh, I don't know what you're going to pick because that was a lot of good stuff in there. But what, what are you taking away?
1: That was a lot of good stuff. You know, I think that the beauty of it, just to reflect for a moment here, is that, uh, you know, current James got to hug little James a little bit. And, and it was a I really sweet felt yes. it was beautiful. We should We should do that more often. You know, I just love the message that he does it because he has fun with it. I think that at the end of the day is the most resonant thing for me. It's, it's, it's gotta be fun. Um, It doesn't have to be, but that's the type of writer I am too. So it totally resonated and it reminded me of it, which is important to hear. I'll just put that on, I'll put that on playback on a loop all the time.
0: It is an important piece of information because I, I have a lot of friends who are trying to, you know, make writing their career and to get out of, get off the nine to five, 40-hour-a-week treadmill and and make a living as a creative. And for them, uh, the, the admonition of have fun is, I think, harder to embrace. But I think for that very reason, it must be. Because the whole reason you're trying to advance into this new career is because it's closer to who you truly are and what you truly want to be. And and that has to include fun and friends and a life mm-hmm. outside of the mm-hmm. clackety-clack of the keys.
2: Yeah, because so. it's a terrible way to make money. Oh. Because <laughs> it it's like, it's <laughs> like really, really and truly, if you're not having a fair amount of fun or at least a deep satisfaction, because I won't pretend that it's all fun. I think oh, of it yeah, like of going to the gym, right? Like, I'm very happy that I have written. I'm not always happy in the moment. But, like, if you're not getting that fun... uh. Man, there's way more lucrative things you could be doing with your time.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So
2: true. And the thing that I
0: took out of this this conversation was was James's exploration of of how you how you discern which piece to pursue, which which of your inspirations? because, as you have noted many times, Marie, I am afflicted with ideas. Uh, way, too many frickin <laughs> ideas that that must be filtered and and assigned priorities. Uh, and that notion of looking at something, is it is it complete? Does it have all the pieces that are required? Are you excited about it? All of those things are criteria that I think every creative person needs to foster. When, not if, but when that inspiration hits, you know, this hour because the next one will be coming in 52 minutes. Uh, <laughs> you, you need to you need to be able to prioritize, and that was that was important for me. That's what I'm taking away. Yeah, so. I love it. I do, too. I do, too. Friends, here's the deal. That was an astonishing uh, and insightful conversation. The delight of the Archivos Podcast Network is that we're going to be able to bring James back. We'll add to the mix a creagious guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer, and we are going to launch a brainstorming arena fraught with explorations of story and character and plot and world building and all the delicious things that are are, are enticed and, and woven into the brainstorming experience. That'll be on Archivos Brainstorms in one week's time, uh, but that's a week, and it's still a long time. It never stops being a long time. Marie, Help out our friends. What, what, what can they do between now and seven days from now to, to to make the time feel like like it's just whizzing by?
1: Okay, this is an important one to me. This is actually a personal request for people to do this for me. Okay. For those of you who don't know, I live in Canada's capital region in Ottawa, which is a swampland, by the way. Great, good place to create to put a... Yeah, great place for capital, people. For... April, May, and June, and it looks like July as well. We have broken all of the rain records because we've received so much, okay? I have forgotten what the sun is like, my friends. (laughs) So what you should all do is every day in the morning, grab your favorite hot drink, I'm assuming caffeine, but it doesn't have to be, and walk out and look at the sky. And if you see something that's not gray and wet, take a deep breath, take a nice sip of coffee, and then go (laughs) right and that's it and do that for me my friends just enjoy it there are mushrooms growing in my house send it
0: psychically (laughs) to her she's she's got a mold
1: (laughs) issue (laughs) you poor thing I've got mushrooms I've got swamps do it for me my friends be awesome
0: and send it to her in your heart she will receive it
1: yeah wonderful Wonderful.
0: we will do it we will do it we will send it to you (laughs) you poor thing I will tell you, friends, as I always do. You find what you're looking for, so look for the wow. Look for the holy schmoly. I had no idea that was there. Look for the astonishment in the world, and if you look for it, friends, I promise you, it is inevitable. You will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy and find some sun if you can get under that and stay awesome <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye this episode of archivos insights is copyright's 2017 by wonderthing studios and is released under a creative commons attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international license to find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations Visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hep Cats of Brotown: Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Archivos Podcast and on Twitter at Writer's Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos dot digital.
1: Thanks for listening.